0: Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hey, guys. So I'd love it if you could join our Facebook group, digital nomad and freedom fighter collective. We're creating a movement here and I'd like you to join. Go on there and introduce yourself, share your goals with us and join in the discussion. If you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to share, feel free to reach out to me through the Facebook group. And as my personal gift, you can also find a free copy of my audiobook for Buy Your Own Island in the file section of that group. I really look forward to seeing you there and hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Open World Podcast. Great to have you here. Today I'm joined by Justin Stenstrom, and he's a nationally acclaimed life coach, author, entrepreneur, and speaker based in Boston. He's the founder of EliteManMagazine.com, the host of the Elite Man Podcast, and also hosts the annual Elite Man Conference. Now, I think this is going to be a great discussion whether you're a man or a woman because we're going to really talk about how he's made this online business work. He's been at it for four years now and before he got into this he had about 30 different jobs before he tried to make this work online. He was last a a personal trainer and just kind of been winging it for now and um, also when he started he had to overcome a lot of the mental demons and hobgoblins of the mind that hold us back from you know shyness, depression, uh, fear of putting himself out there so I think this is going to be a really honest and vulnerable chat, and I'm excited. I want to welcome you to the show, Justin.
1: Hey, Danny. Thanks so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate it.
0: So tell me a little bit more about this bio of yours. You know, where were you when you were younger, and how did you kind of get started on this path where you are today?
1: Yeah, so it started for me about nine, almost 10 years ago now. Um, Yeah, I was back in high school, um, finishing up with high school. I, I had... Pretty much zero friends, zero social life, uh, no dating life, no confidence. And as it turns out, I was very anxious and depressed at the time because of this. Like this had been building up in me for a while where this is time where a lot of uh, teenagers are going out partying, having fun, having things to do after school. Uh, I was going home every day and basically just sitting alone in my room watching TV and bored and depressed out of my mind because i had nothing to do so i mean long story short
0: can i interrupt you yeah yeah Why, 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 why were you in this situation with no friends i mean why did you just feel like you were checking out was what was the source of your frustration or why did you feel like you were avoiding uh life i guess in general
1: I think it kind of stemmed from going from like grade school where I was sort of like the popular kid, the uh, big fish in the small pond, so to speak. Uh, And then high school came around and it just sort of swept me under. Um, I kind of got lost in the transition. I lost a lot of my friends from grade school. And uh, I actually went to a pretty large high school. It was uh, over 2,000 people in it. And I, I just didn't seem to fit in. I tried, you know, acting cool. I tried uh, making friends with some of the cool kids I got in trouble. And, you know, this backfired. They weren't really my friends. They didn't really care about me. And uh, I tried acting up to try to get attention. And this lasted for a few years. And uh, come like junior, senior year of high school, I'm looking around like thinking like you know where did all my friends go? Where where is everybody? Where, you know, acting up, getting in trouble, um, trying to stand out. All these things didn't work for me. I was trying so hard to like fit in and be cool, and it just completely backfired on I me. Mean, it, it just did the opposite actually, and left me with like uh, nobody to talk to and nobody to hang out with, and, and no real friends at all. Um, so that's kind of why where it uh, came from. And, it, and like I said, it, it just kind of built up over time and, um, you know, going like kind of graduating after high school, I ended up meeting a couple people that ended up becoming great friends um, and through the trial and tribulation of, of looking things up, like I, I discovered this whole self-help community online, you know, guys like uh, Eckhart Tolle, Tony Robbins, uh, Paul McKenna, Richard Brandler, just self-help legends that uh, have changed and impact so many people's lives. And I slowly started following these people and listening to what they were saying. And it took me a number of years, um, but just like testing things out, trying everything out from you know, A to Z, um, some of it worked, some of it didn't. Um, but over the course of a couple of years, I slowly dug myself out of this hole And began to see real change, and I started to become happy again. And uh, after that, I started pushing myself out of my comfort zone socially, started making friends, going out on dates, hanging out with people. Um, And about three, four years later, I got really good at this stuff and started helping some friends who were, who were, uh, you know, doing, who were kind of undergoing some of the same things. And from there, I launched the first site, and um, you know, rest is history.
0: I think it's kind of a common thread that a lot of people go through, like this social anxiety. You found it really difficult to connect with people in high school. I know the feeling too because when I was younger, my first of all, my parents were never married, so they, they split, you know, when I was a toddler and I was always living in two houses and both parents, you know, married other people. So I was always moving around a lot, you know, changing schools, changing cities and you know, when you're a young kid, when you're a youth it's It's not easy to connect with people like we're doing right now. I mean, you're in Boston, I'm in Thailand. And and you can't really form those bridges to build those meaningful relationships. And, you know, people form tribes as a result. And it's hard to get into those tribes. And you feel like you're a little bit isolated. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. But I think you found your tribe, as you said, through people like Tony Robbins and many of those personal improvement coaches out there. And I think that's what's so great about just this interconnected world that we live in you know no matter what interests you have you can find your people on the internet or through media
1: yeah man i I absolutely agree and i'm so lucky and i think we're all so fortunate in a lot of ways to be able to connect with some of these people you know going back to that period of time where i didn't have any friends uh, one of the first things I did was start go on, start to go on blogs, on forums, on chats, and just start talking to other people um, who were going through a lot of the same problems I was, and even uh, some, the dating community, you know, the, the old pickup artist community back then. Um, talking to some of those guys, and as bad I know as bad as it is to say to admit that, because um, yeah, I don't agree with a lot of those pickup artist guys now, um, but as bad as it is to admit that, even connecting with some people like that who were um, you know, had some of the good, right intentions, gave me a connection, gave me sort of a community even back then. And, um, you know, if, if, if we'd been around 20, 30 years ago, we wouldn't never even had that opportunity to go out and to, to meet these people online because, you know, the internet just didn't exist. And I didn't have any friends in person, but at least I had something online that I could, or someone online that I could connect with.
0: Yeah. Most people are pretty careful about, uh, admitting associations with dating community because it's almost on the same level as like multi-level marketing which i did by the way yeah i'm, I'm ashamed to say here <laughs> since we're being honest <laughs> because you know some some guy from out of town in a suit you know came in with a briefcase and was talking about you know all these different streams of income and, and i was like 22 at the time and he had me you know hook line and sinker and uh and so i ended up paying 300 to them you know to get up like a really basic website and i don't even remember what i was selling but <laughs> he just flashed all these numbers in front of me on a board and I was all in, you know but um, I think we've all kind of gone through stuff like that and it comes from a place of good intention it's just that a lot of these industries like the dating community, multi-level marketing like they really kind of they kind of play upon that naive vulnerability you know of these sucker customers and there's a question of ethics there I think
1: yeah, I agree man, absolutely
0: yeah and some of the tactics they use Um, but how are you, uh, so I know that you're doing coaching and stuff. Um, how, how are you like standing out and being different apart from all of that stuff? I mean, well, let's actually, sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. So you, you kind of started finding all this stuff and you started helping other people. Um, but it was, it wasn't like a natural transition. I know you said you went through 30 different jobs before you became an entrepreneur. Is that right?
1: Yeah, something like thirty jobs. I added it up with my girlfriend one time. She had like thirty-three or something, and I had like thirty. It was ridiculous.
0: What was that period of your life like?
1: Uh, it was just a lot of trial and error. I mean, figuring things out. Like trying. I think everybody, as much as it is, it's kind of funny to to laugh at it now because it's you know such a ridiculous number of of different jobs. Like I'll do it. I I'd, I'd try a job out for a day. Um, even a few hours, I remember a couple of jobs where I I was there for a couple hours and realized, you know, this sucks. I'm not going to do this anymore. So I just walked out and left. Um, but you know, trying all those jobs out as much as, as funny as it is, it actually, I think it's a good experience because you get a good sort of repertoire of different things that you figure out that you either don't like, hate. May like a little bit, or you know, actually, it's kind of interesting, and you do like it. So, it, it, you know, instead of just diving into a job and you know having that old-fashioned, oh, I, I have a new job, I have to stick this out, and you know, I, I have to work uh, every single day for the next ten years, and I'll love this job and move up, and you know, whatever. Um, that kind of old-fashioned philosophy is long gone, and the new philosophy is figuring out something you actually enjoy. Really do. So, I mean, I tried 30 different jobs out or around that 30, you know, job number and realized I didn't like a lot of the things I was doing. But eventually, you know, through trial and error, I kind of did figure out what I liked. And that was helping other people and being a coach and, um, you know, doing what I'm doing now, like this entrepreneurial stuff. Like, I can't, I can't go back. I would never go back and do any one of those jobs now because. It's just not who I am. I have the sort of entrepreneurial philosophy in me, and that's who I am through and through. But it took me like thirty different jobs to figure that out. Does that make sense?
0: So tell me some of these details. You know, what was what was this job that you did that uh, you walked out after a few hours?
1: That was a job I got uh, through a high school teacher, who was a great guy and a great teacher, a great friend even. Um, and it was just like a summer job. Uh, it, he kind of talked it up though, because it was one of his friends that owned the company. And he was talking about, you know, cause it was a computer class that I took with him. He was talking about learning all sorts of computer stuff and, you know, learning about the uh, hardware and the software. And, you know, it, it's a great company. You can move up in it and stuff. And basically, I tried it out, uh, you know, did it for a couple hours. And all it consisted of was basically taking computer parts. Uh, that were like in packages and taking them out of the package and then like putting them in like a different putting them in like a different pile and doing that all day long. So it was like a minimum wage job. I think it was eight dollars at the time. Um and basically it was unpacking stuff from a box and, and taking out the pieces so that other people could work on uh the hardware of it or whatever it was. And just you know to just keep it short and sweet, it, it completely sucked. I did it for a couple hours, realized I hated it and walked off the job and, and uh you know never went back.
0: <laughs> you didn't think to like talk to your friend and say, Hey, this is not what I signed up for, you know, teach me the, the good stuff about computers or computer software.
1: You know, give me no, some more responsibility it, here. <laughs> yeah, if if it was if it was the teacher that I knew um and it was his job that he gave it to me, I would have did that. I would have just you know been like um you know dr clayton's you know what's going on man i, I want something you know that i'm actually going to learn something but i mean it was just his, his friend and uh it, it was his friend's job who gave it to me and i don't, i think the the details of the job were kind of translated uh inaccurately from his friend to to him and then of course from him to me so i mean it was just his his friend's job yeah. and um you know his first friend kind of wasn't even around that day anyway so i just left <laughs>
0: So I like to think that out of all of these experiences that we have, you know, because I've had a bunch of different jobs and uh, done volunteering stuff, and I think that's really important to look back at these experiences, and and entrepreneurial, you know, pursuits too if you fail at something. I think it's important to look back and see, you know, what you could learn from that, what you could have done differently, uh, and, and, you know, what led you to get into that position. And I think if you don't look back, if you don't reflect, and see, you know, what was the cause of me getting in a situation where I wanted to walk out, and not repeating that again? Because there's a saying that life keeps teaching you the same lessons until you learn them. And um, you know, I've done some different things. Like uh, a, a couple years ago, I did a bunch of volunteering through Workaway. It's a website where you know you can travel different countries and volunteer in exchange for room and board. And uh, I did you know this one some work in Taiwan, in the center of Taiwan, up in the mountains, and. You know, the stuff that she had us doing all day long, like sweeping the floors and, you know, mopping and cutting weeds out of the garden, like I was just like, you know, this is a waste of time. This isn't what I want to do. So I think that, you know, in those situations, if you're going to be working for a minimum wage or you're going to be volunteering, like it should at least be something that you're really excited about or something that you love doing that you'd want to do for free and not because you're discerning minimum wage, because there's no motivation to continue, right?
1: Yeah, if you're at a job and it's just horrible and you're miserable there, then you know, what's the point of doing even if it you know minimum wage aside, I mean, that's one thing, you're just doing it for minimum wage and making, you know, crappy money for a terrible job. But even a job that you make good money in, if you're miserable doing it and you hate it, uh, you know, to me it's just the, the obvious answer is to leave, to find something else. Um, life is not about money to me, and it never has really been. Um, Even since I was little, it's all about just being happy in what I do and enjoying the work I do. Like I work a lot of hours now on the business I do online, on my website, on the podcast. I work a lot of hours each week, but it doesn't feel like work to me. It doesn't feel like I'm putting in all those hours because I enjoy it. I enjoy. I don't enjoy every single minute of it, but I enjoy the majority, the the good majority of it because it's fun to me and I I like doing it. So I mean, that's what work should be—something you enjoy.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I'm in, the, I'm in the same boat because I'm here in northern Thailand and I'm, I'm actually volunteering here. I'm getting up at 4.30 and before I did this podcast and uh, I, I'm just working for free, you know, helping out the crews on this hot air balloon field because. Uh, but, you know, like, I'm not complaining about getting up at 4.30. Like, I love it. I love to get outside, you know, get out early, see the sunrise. And I'm working towards something that is a goal of mine, is a dream of mine. And that's to learn how to become a pilot of these hot air balloons so I can travel around in this. Um, so like if I look at that like yeah that's free labor but it's something that's getting me closer to my goals and I'm learning from the experience I'm getting you know the training that I need And, and and also the way that you look at it too because I feel like you know a lot of people have goals but then they realize like oh this is gonna be really hard you know physical labor and I gotta get up every day and they just give up and so I think it's really important to one have that motivation whatever it is you're doing that And and two, feel like it's getting you somewhere closer to a meaningful goal that you have. And three, you know, being able to uh, translate that experience into uh, something that's a positive. You know, looking at the things that you're grateful for that you really appreciate. You know, feeling grateful that I feel grateful that I'm here in Thailand. You know, that I can be having this really unique experience, and not focusing on the fact that I'm not getting paid. Not focusing on the fact that I got struggle to get up myself out of bed every morning. You know. And so um, that's kind of what I learned from these kind of experiences. What did you learn from working all these different jobs? Was it similar to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was basically just um, not wasting my time. Like the most uh, precious resource we have is our time. So like you said, Dan, even though you're not making money doing, um, you know, learning about how to work a hot air balloon, you're not getting paid you're getting paid in other ways. You're, you're not getting physically paid with, with money or any monetary currency. Um, but what you are getting paid in is the skill to know how to do it. You're getting paid in, uh, in knowledge. And, and that's, you know, you can't, you can't put money on something like that a lot of the time. So the the most important thing, I think the biggest takeaway from what I learned is not to waste time, not to waste time doing something you're not happy in, not to waste time doing something you don't care about, and not to waste time doing something that you're not learning anything from or getting paid in another form like your knowledge or your skill. Um, so it's really about finding something that you can improve in um, and that you're actually going to get paid in some way, even if it's not just you know minimum wage or, or money like that.
0: How did you get started on the entrepreneurial path? Did you have a mentor or did you... Um you just model other people that you were following at
1: the time yeah I had a mentor for a couple months and um, he kind of showed me the the basics showed me the ropes about how to set up a website uh, you know hosting and the domain and um, all that stuff, he, I think even a business email. So basically like the, the groundwork of an online website. And from there, I mean, I only had him for a couple months. He's a great guy, by the way. His name's Adam LaDolce. Um, but I only had him for a couple months because he's really busy and he was traveling a lot. Um, but the biggest thing he told me was that, you know, Justin, you can basically Google anything in the world as far as like learning how to set something up or learning how to do something entrepreneurially and follow a lot of the people out there who are already – doing big things like follow, you know, the Tim Ferris's, the Seth Godin's, the Tony Robbins, like mimic what these guys are doing, get on their email list, you know, see, see how they write copy, see how they do things, um, and then kind of, you know, mimic what they're doing and what's working for them. And you can go any like the sky's the limit, especially in this day and age where you can look anything up and figure out something within just a couple of minutes.
0: So when you, uh, work with a mentor like that, how do you approach them and how do you, um, I guess, you know, because you want to be valuable to these people, and I, I definitely understand the, the value of mentors. Like, I don't work with coaches one-on-one, but I have a lot of people that, you know, just really inspire me because they're on another level, and they really kind of set a new standard, I want to say. Like, um, there was one guy, I had a mentor for a couple of years, and we just corresponded via email, know, I didn't meet him in person until, like, a couple of years after that. But he was on the cover of Inc. Magazine. He was a runaway CEO, and this was a time that... I was reading Before Work Week and dreaming about this lifestyle, and here was this guy who was actually showing me that it was possible, and that really kind of motivated me to actually pursue it. You know, because if I didn't know anyone who was actually doing this kind of stuff that I want to be like affiliate marketing, for example, like I might just give up because I might say, oh, it's too hard, or it doesn't seem possible, but when you see someone like this who's showing you that it's actually possible, I think it's really empowering. But um, you know if, if you have people like this like it's, it's good to network with people like this to inspire you but how do you um, how do you build that relationship with them and how do you, do you you know you want it to be like a give and take relationship how do you provide value to these people
1: um, <clears throat> it's tough for me to say because I really only had that one mentor um, you know one on one mentor that I had named you know Adam that I mentioned um, I, I haven't yeah, and as much as it pro- probably should have along the way, I should have gone out and gotten more mentors because I know the power of it. I know how fast it can speed up the process of getting things done. Um, but with Adam, it was basically just like, you know, a coaching thing where I paid him a certain amount of money, a few, I think it was a few hundred dollars, um, and he coached me like one on one via Skype. And told me, like, you know what are your goals for you know the next few weeks, the next month, the next couple of months? And you know he held me accountable for reaching those goals, and I had some big goals, I had some you know things that uh he didn't even think I was gonna get done, but I made sure I set the bar high and then I achieved those goals, like I worked my ass off. To, to make sure I got those things done. And I think that was one of the biggest things was um, setting goals, but then actually following through on them and making sure I did anything I could, like everything possible to make sure I, I hit those goals and, and, and made them attainable. So for me, it was just, you know, paying a mentor, even if it was, um, you know, going out and, and actually physically paying somebody to, to train me and coach me how to do this. That's what it was for me. But I mean, there's other ways of doing it, obviously, you know, giving first and, you know, reaching out and making sure you provide value to people. Uh, I know the, the story of, uh, uh, Robert Green, who was a former guest on my show too. Uh, and, and Tucker Max, how, how Tucker became, no, um, no, not Tucker Max. Uh, Ryan Holiday, excuse me. Ryan Holiday become was a uh, Robert was a mentor to Ro- to Ryan Holiday, and basically Ryan just did all sorts of work for for Robert, and you know you know fast forward a few years later, and Ryan's a number one uh, best selling author, and he kind of followed in the shadow. of... Of Robert Green and has, uh, you know, is big of a name and, you know, maybe it might even be on the same level as Robert. But basically, he provided value to Robert, gave him everything uh, he needed and, and kind of looked after some of the things that he needed to do that he couldn't do or, um, you know, took the kind of the burden off his shoulders and took some of the responsibility and work off his shoulders and helped them out. Um, that's pretty much the, the way to do it for anybody who's looking for a mentor is help them out first, uh, figure out what they need, provide value to them, and then, you know, you can ask for uh, help afterwards
0: podcasting is a great way to connect with people start a podcast and uh, invite them to be on a show you can pick their brain for an hour right
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a personal coaching session every time i have an interview <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right so you've had some great guests on your show uh, tell me about some of these guys I know you had robert green you had uh, a bunch of other people who are specialized in all types of different fields
1: yeah, man. I mean, uh, it's been a game changer for me podcasting. Just, uh, you know, the ca- connections I've made for people who are sort of in my industry or in my space uh, is second to none because of podcasting. And then also being able to reach some of these huge names like uh, Robert Green, Sean Stevenson, Elliot Hulse, um, Ty Bollinger, just like these major players in this sort of self-help industry. Um, you know, they would have never talked to me a few years ago, but because I have a good platform now, a, a pretty big podcast, these guys are coming on my show. And like I said, I get to literally just pick their brains. It's almost like a coaching uh, session because I have all these questions I've had, you know, f- f- throughout all the years of, of listening to these people and watching them. Um, and then I get to kind of follow up on a lot of these questions personally and just, you know, even I had, um, R- Ryan Levesque a few months back um he has that book ask which is an incredible book and you know one of my personal favorites but i read the book like 3 or 4 times and then um you know reached out to his people uh, it took a few months, but uh, he eventually came on the show, and I literally just followed up on every single question that I had from reading his book, and it was so cool because I got to fill in all the, the blanks that I had from reading his book that I you know, I couldn't quite understand, and Ryan just came on and totally filled those in for me, and it was so awesome. Um, so it was just kind of what one example that? of that. What it, was it's that so book, cool.
0: if someone's not familiar? It's Ryan L-E-V-E-S-Q-U-E. Is that right?
1: Yeah. it's, tell, it's tell me it's about that book like, and
0: tell me a little bit about him.
1: Yeah. It's spelled Levesque, but it's pronounced Levesque. And the book is Ask. Uh, I believe it's a long subtitle, but I believe it's something like a counterintuitive approach to uh, asking your audience what they want or something like that. But it's the Ask formula is what he's talking about. And it's basically, the gist of it is uh, figuring out through a series of uh, surveys and quizzes, you ask your audience indirectly what they want. And they basically tell you uh, the the program, the the coaching, the uh, book, the ebook, the video, whatever it is, they tell you what they want, um, without you asking them. You know, what do you want? You ask them kind of some some of their problems, what they don't want, what they've tried in the past, and they um, through these the series of questions that he has these like funnels uh, of of surveys. You end up getting exactly you figure out exactly what your audience wants, what they need and how to present it to them, how to sell it to them. Yeah, it's really cool. a great
0: way to come up with profitable ideas, but um, I think at the same time, you should kind of do that with a grain of salt too because I think there was a quote that by Henry Ford that if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, I think.
1: That's yeah, the, you know, well, <laughs> the, the thing... <laughs> So no, that, that's great. That's a yeah. great quote, Ben. And the, the thing is, Ryan actually uses that quote a lot because okay. he doesn't, like I say, he doesn't directly ask people what they want. He figures out what they don't want. And then they indirectly, without even knowing, they actually end up telling him by giving him these sort of cues what they really do want. So he's figuring out you know, he's not figuring out the, the the question. You know, what do you want? The Henry Ford question. Oh, I want faster horses. He's actually figuring out by these uh, th- these questions. He's figuring out that they actually want a car, and it's really cool the way it, it's very, very clever, but also uh, counterintuitive and something that you wouldn't think of right away.
0: Yeah, I think if if you translate that quote differently, you know, when they say faster horses, what they really want is more efficiency. You know, they want to get to their destination faster, and so. You know, rather than, obviously, you can't just make the horses faster by giving them steroids or something like this, you know, why don't we invent a car, right? So, if you boil that down, what they're really after is better transportation, you know, better efficiency, maybe less horse dung on the side of the road, and voila, you have a car, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. So, what's your game plan for connecting with these kind of people and uh, getting in touch with them? Because some of these people are hard to reach, right?
1: Yeah. Some of these people are really hard to reach. Um, the biggest thing for anyone who's looking to connect with people is having persistence because, uh, for everybody that I've mentioned and so many more people that I haven't mentioned, uh, it took three, four, five, even six times of like reaching back to the, to their people, um, or even to them in some cases, but like trying and trying and trying again, you know, a lot of people, you know, you'll reach out to them once, and they're the first time and you won't even hear a response back. And then you know what? You say, I'm going to try again. So you try again in two, three months. Um, reach out to me maybe change up the template that you sent them or something like that. Change up some of the wording or maybe you uh, Im- improve what you're saying or, you know, kind of just pitch them in a different way. But you, you try again a second time and then, you know, the second time their assistant says, oh, oh uh, you know, Robert Green's busy, um, but, uh, you know, I'll pass this over to him, maybe circle back with us in a few months. So then you try again the third time and you know 3 months later you circle back with them and you know the, the assistant says something like uh oh Robert's real busy right now he's interested but he is busy um why don't you try again next month. So you try again the month after that and you know finally she says all right Robert's interested um why don't we set up an interview for you know 3 4 weeks from now and then boom you get your interview. So a lot of this is just persistence. A lot of it is, um, you know, the assistant saying, uh, we're busy right now, but circle back with us in six months. And most people, when they see, when they hear that, they say, yeah, okay, great. And then they don't circle back. When I hear someone say that, I immediately go to my calendar and I write it in to circle back with that person in six months or four months or three, whatever they tell me, I write it in and I always follow up with them. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people enjoy that or they, they, they appreciate that to the extent where... Like I said, most people don't do it. So if you're circling back with someone who said circle back with me in six months, um, you know, half the time they're going to be impressed with that. And they're going to say, all right, you know, we'll give you a shot. Um, We checked out your show. We checked out your website, whatever. Um, It looks pretty legit. Um, you know, why don't we set something up for a couple months or next month from now? And, you know, there you go. So it's a lot of its persistence. It's having a good template. It's having a good image, a website or podcast, whatever it is, and then having some credibility of doing it with people, um, who you, who you've worked with in the past. Like I'll always include, uh, samples of some, uh, of the people I've worked with, some, uh, samples of some of the episodes I've done. And then, you know, always like a link to my website, which looks pretty legit too, I think. Uh, so that's just a few tips.
0: I find what's really helpful is because I actually forget you know how to follow up with people if I put it in my calendar, but uh, using Boomerang, you know the, the free app that you can use with Gmail. So mm-hmm. uh, if you get a response back from them and they say you know let's talk in a month, uh, Boomerang actually lets you write that email in you know as you get that response, and then you click the send later button and then you you can set up the calendar to exactly when you want to send that email, and I find that to be really helpful because I'll just like. I'll move on to something else, you know, and then I'll just completely forget to do it. And That's kind of my, my issue there. But
1: yeah, no, nah, that's a that's a good app, man. I gotta check that out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I really like uh, Boomerang and I like Streak, the two free apps for Gmail, I and mean, they actually do a bunch of really cool stuff with email. And I think that's good, you know, because it's good to be a little bit persistent. It's you don't want to be pushy, obviously. But um, I recently had a, a guy who was, I think, working for a startup and. He emailed me about two months ago and I was traveling and I just wasn't even checking my email he, I didn't respond to him at first you know he replied uh, he followed up again a week later but you know just being really polite and just you know just you know not um, not being pushy you know and eventually I did interview the, the CEO of that company and it was a great interview and I just think like yeah, I really admired what he kind of did you know even though I was not interested at first and I was way too busy um, I just kind of admire that, you know, like that persistence. Like you would follow up in a week, and then two weeks later, without being annoying, but just, you know, just kind of checking in, and it works if you if you're willing to stick through it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think you made a great point too with uh, with being polite. Like politeness online goes a long way. I get in I get emails all the time uh, about stuff, and you know, even if someone <laughs> As much as I hate to admit it, even if like you kind of know that they're not being intentionally rude, but it kind of comes across as rude, you like automatically, it triggers something in your mind, I think, where like you automatically kind of dismiss the email or dismiss the message like, yeah, all right, this guy's a jerk. I'm, yeah, I'm also whatever. Uh, Or you kind of just ignore it or you forget to respond back because of that. But someone who's like really polite online or you get a nice email, um, you almost always respond back to that person just because um, they are being like so courteous to you and it goes a long way. There's something to that. Uh, I think it's just something wired in us where like we want to respond to people who are being nice to us.
0: You know, one thing I found really helpful is I have a lot of, I'll save a lot of templates, you know? So if I send an email to someone and it's successful, I'll just, I want to copy and paste that and just kind of reuse it over and over and over again. And I have different templates like, um, for example, if, if I follow up with someone I interviewed on my podcast and I want them to write a review, for example. Um, or you know, if I want to post in a Facebook group, you know, about like a blog or a podcast or just to promote something, I find it to be really helpful to kind of save these templates, but one problem I have is that I'm kind of very disorganized about it, you know. So I don't really have anywhere to store these templates. I kind of just go through like my inbox and try to find like an old email I sent. And then, you know, copy and paste, maybe do a little personalization. Do, do you do stuff like that? And are you kind of like organized in your email outreach? Because I'm, I'm not. I need to get better at that. <laughs>
1: um, I wasn't until my assistant came around, my, my uh, girlfriend slash assistant, who is incredibly, incredibly organized. And she is a stud when it comes to doing emails and stuff. So um, I wasn't, but a, about a year and a half ago, Two years ago, maybe now, I, I got pretty organized with it, and it was it was kind of a game changer because I have all the templates I have set up, and they're all marked, and they all have their own things. they their own folders, and you know, I have a, a template for podcasting outreach. I have a template for um, guest posting outreach, for you know, like you said, getting reviews and things like that. Um, just all, I have like 20 different templates on there and I can easily like access any one of them and I'm always updating them too, like regularly. Um, but I can easily access any one of them and it, it saves so much time, man. Like but back in the day when I first started, I used to write each email out and as you can imagine, it's just, you know, was so, um, tiresome and it just ate away so much time. And as I mentioned earlier, time is your most precious resource and having something like a template, having organized templates just saves so much time.
0: Yeah, and I know you have a lot of reviews on your podcast, uh, over two hundred, over two hundred ratings, mm. and, which is more than me. But I wish I had that many. What's what's been the success? Uh, what's been a factor in your success in getting reviews and stuff like that, and promoting your podcast?
1: Yeah, so uh, the reviews was basically, I mean, like I said, just that email outreach. I it was a point in time, um, maybe about a year ago or so, when I realized I had to get some more reviews. Um, and I just started contacting people. I started contacting people I was working with, um, some of the past guests that were on the show, people that were emailing me about contributing on the website. I would just you know, ask them a favor. I think I even put it in one of my signatures for like a month or so where you know, I have the, the show. If you could leave a review, that'd be great. And that, would just, that was just great for, for getting reviews because at the time I had something, I don't know, like 30 or 40 or something. So over the course of a few months, I got 100, 150 or something like that and really just kind of built that up. Um, but yeah, like, you know, spreading the message and, and getting the podcast out there and getting more years on the show. Um, that came down to just, you know, networking with people and um, going to different events and, um, going into different groups on Facebook, and then also doing interviews like this. Like I know you were on my show, Danny. Um, you know I was doing a lot of this too, like cross promotional stuff. Where I'd come on somebody else's show and then have them on mine. Um, it just helps spread the word and kind of reach different audiences. I know you can kind of relate to that too. You know, you're hitting different people uh, for the first time, and you know if they like your message, they're going to check out your show.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I have I have trouble getting people to actually the reviews and stuff you know like I get a significant amount you know on my books and my podcasts and stuff but it's it's more common for people to like come on your blog and say oh I love this podcast interview and and then you say oh well could you please leave a review and then you know they just disappear you never hear from them again
1: so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, sucks dude <there. laughs>
0: but at the same time you know like I noted that that like a lot of people come to me like authors and people like you you know podcasters and they ask me to write a review and I know they kind of got me by, I don't want to say a bad word here, but they kind of got me by the cojones here, you know, because uh, it, it's just like I know that like, I, need to, I might need to ask them for a favor again, you know, so I give them value and they give me value in return and it's just, I find that, you know, people who are kind of more like creators, you know, people who are also building brands, putting themselves out there, they're a little bit more beholden to like help out other people. But people that are just kind of like consuming content, you know, they're just kind of consume it and then they leave and go away. Have you found that to be kind of uh, similar, similar experience?
1: Um, I don't know if I understand the question. Is it you're saying that people who are consumers aren't necessarily going to help you out? Is that right?
0: No, no, no. Like a lot of these people, like 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 if I'll ask someone to write a review and um, you know they're just kind of like they're working nine to five or something and they just kind of occasionally listen to podcasts like they, they won't like do it. Like they, people like, they want to take value, but they're not willing to give value in return. I find that people that are really entrepreneurial who have like an online brand like yourself, I mean, we're just all about giving value, giving value, giving value. I find these people tend to be a lot more willing to do favors for people, you know, to write a review for someone. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. You're dead on with that. Um, especially in, uh, you know, the this, this space that we're in, it's like everyone we come, everyone I come across, I mean, I'm sure you, you have a similar experience, but everyone I come across is just like all about helping each other out. Because, I mean, we know firsthand how tough the grind is, how hard it can be. And uh, this is a you know, big thing I usually talk about too in a lot of interviews is how much of a game changer it was to create a community online of people, to network with people online and actually have like online friends in the same space that I was in before I did that before I before I even knew about creating a community and reaching out to people and making friends online and even later in person when I had some of the conferences and stuff and went to some conferences uh, before I knew any of that stuff my blog and um, even my podcast initially had like zero followers like I had nobody checking out my articles I'd spent all day long writing these things Uh, my first couple interviews and podcasting uh, nobody was downloading them. It was terrible because I didn't have any uh, connections. I didn't have any people reaching out and, um, you know, helping me out with anything. It was just basically me and I put some content out and it was just crickets chirping. And, uh, but after I created a community, I, I made a lot of friends online, made a lot of people. Um, they helped me spread the message. They helped spread the word. And like you said, they're willing to help you out. And um, you know, because they know how tough it can be, and then obviously I'm the type of person who wants to return that favor, and I help them out as much as possible. Uh, whether that's you know leaving a review for their show or checking out their product, or um, you know having them on my show or having them guest posts on the website, whatever it is, I always like to return favors to people because I know how tough it is, and these people are the same people that help me out.
0: Yeah, and I find this really too. Like someone that's new to the entrepreneurial community, like they they might hold themselves back. You know, they're not willing to share information, you know, they're kind of a little bit reserved because they don't realize how open and uh, giving the entrepreneurial community is because, you know, when you started out, you had no listeners, you had nobody checking out your blog, and you know that feeling, you know, where you're posting stuff out there, but nobody's consuming it, you know, nobody's reading your blog posts, and suddenly you get a reader, and you're so grateful for that person, and you're like, oh you know what can I do for you you know welcome and it's like an honored guest at your, you know, your blog <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's kind of a, a rookie mistake that a lot of people who are new to making that entrepreneurial transition, um, you know like that's that's how I do business is just kind of giving as much value as I can that's actually one of my values that I, I look at every morning is every day I want to give value to someone help somebody every single day without any expectation in return just building that muscle I think is very very important as an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, I agree, man, hundred percent.
0: Okay, so let me ask you. This is one question that I asked you before the interview, and I know that um, how are you making this business model work for you financially? Because I know that stuff like podcasting. I know quite a few podcasters who kind of were at it for a year or so, maybe even longer, and then they kind of just gave up, and now they're working some at some startup or working a normal job. Because you know they weren't able to pay their bills just by podcasting, so how are you making this business model work with elite, man, uh, podcast and magazine?
1: Uh, yeah, so basically, I, I do a lot of coaching, and um, that's my primary source of income right now is, is virtual coaching, like Skype coaching. Um, and I get a lot of the, get a lot of my clients, a lot of students through the podcast. So I don't like to typically advertise or have sponsors on the website or the podcast because I use that as sort of a stream to, as a funnel to get prospects and then, you know, eventually coaches eventually clients and I get to coach those people so it's basically just been a process of building up the platform building up the website um, building up the podcast and you know the bigger it gets the the bigger the funnel is and the more prospects and you know eventually more clients I get and that's kind of you know what I've been working with over the last few years and um, that along with the conference that I'm running the elite man conference is um, pretty much the, the two main sources of income.
0: Okay, so do you include a call to action in your uh, every podcast? Is that how it
1: works? Uh, every podcast will have some type of call to action, whether that's um, coming on and checking out my Facebook group, Elite Man Mastermind, or whether that's subscribing to my email list on a certain page, um, something like that. I always have some snippet, you know, a 30 to 60 second commercial of where I want my, my listeners or my readers to go. Yeah,
0: that's a great tip there. Creating a Facebook group for your listeners. That's that's something I should do because that kind of uh, gets your prospects right where you want them. You know, gets them hanging around so, you know, they're in a community where you can basically get in contact with them anytime you like. I think that's a great hint there.
1: Yeah, Facebook uh, communities are huge right now too. They're just building up and um, the power of them, I think, is still untapped. I think they're an untapped resource that uh, has a lot of potential. So that's why I'm big on uh, my Facebook group right now.
0: Do you want to plug that? Tell me the name.
1: Sorry, what was that, man?
0: Do you want to plug that group? Tell me the name of that one so people
1: uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. So the, the Facebook group right now that I have is the Elite Man Mastermind. So it's just Elite Man and then Mastermind. And it's like a mastermind of all sorts of people. We have experts in there. Um, bloggers podcasters business leaders life coaches and then just regular people like regular people who want to be around like-minded uh, men and women it's not just a man's group by the way either it's it's a lot of women actually in the group so it's just a group a collection of like-minded people we share motivating uh, insights tips advice techniques strategies to becoming the best people we can be
0: what else can you share about making this uh, kind of coaching business work you know what have you learned as a result of doing this do you uh, one thing I want to ask you: Do you kind of grade your prospects to kind of filter out people who maybe aren't serious or just might waste your time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I do that in a way. Um, you know, I have a couple of different coaching programs I do, and uh, if if someone doesn't really fit into what I'm offering. Um, they're kind of automatically weeded out. So it, it kind of does that on its own. Um, but as far as like getting that, I'm, I'm a big, I mentioned it earlier. I'm a big fan of Ryan Levesque, and I've kind of implemented, uh, rather quickly. And I, I didn't used to do this before, but I implemented, uh, a, a sort of a, a quiz in the beginning to figure out, um, you know, what these people really want from their coaching. So I can I, I can have like a confidence-based coaching. I can have a dating advice coaching and I can have an entrepreneurial coaching. Um, but then I kind of figure out if these people are good with, you know, what I can offer in those like three main areas. And if they're not, then they're not, you know, they, you can find somebody else to do it. Um, but through a series of kind of asking them questions, I figure out if they're a good fit for me right away And, uh, you know, if it's worth it for them to spend the money and also worth it for me if I'm going to be able to actually implement uh, what I know and help them out. So it's kind of a way to weed them out and also a way to figure out what it is exactly that they want.
0: Uh, What else has been helpful in making this kind of coaching business work? Can you tell me a bit about um, any tools you use or how do you do the pricing? Do you have people uh, set up for... Ongoing sessions or just like one-off sessions?
1: Yeah, so it, it's typically, I mean, you can opt to choose the, you know, just one time payment, but it's typically a recurring session. Uh, it's, it's easier for, it's obviously better because, you know, for me, I, I, I get, you know, a payment every single month. Um, it can cancel any time though it's not like this you know hidden strings or anything like that but it's it's just easier because you know you kind of take the whole stigma of having to pay each month it automatically comes out each month uh, you take the stigma out of and I learned this actually from back my old um personal training days where we'd sign clients up and it was just you know an automatic payment every month and get, it got automatically taken out and you know once you make sort of that first sales pitch once you kind of get them in and um, figure out that they're a good fit and that this is right for them and, they, and then that they you know need this to change whatever it is they, they want to change. Um, once you get over that first hurdle of actually selling them that product, you don't want to have to keep doing that. You don't want to have to keep bringing up the sale um, and trying to keep selling them over and over again. So it's just you know so much easier. To have a recurring payment every single month that's automatically taken out they don't have to worry about it they don't have to think about it they don't have to second guess it and you don't have to second guess or worry about trying to sell them every month on you know oh buy you know um, four hundred dollars worth of coaching again you know get this again buy it next month buy it in three months it automatically will come out and it, it's just kind of there so it's it's very it's a very um, effective way of both building up your your income and also taking out a lot of stress and a lot of work. So it's, it was one of the big things I recommend for anyone looking to set up coaching is to do a recurring payment. If, if they really want to opt out and they just want to do it one time, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Y- you still obviously take that because it's better than nothing. Um, but when you have the option to, and most time you do, you, you want to kind of get them on a recurring payment because it's just so much easier. It takes the stress off both your hands and makes things a lot easier.
0: So when you're doing something like that, you're setting up a continuity model and recurring payments, how do you land on a price and how do you present the value to the prospect and deliver that value? Uh,
1: I mean, typically, I have a sales page, um, well, a few different sales pages that I use for that, okay, um, but that it, out? it's Check it. of the sales page.
0: Yeah. If you
1: don't mind. Um, I'd have to look it up, man. If you Give me a few <laughs> minutes. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, so I think that would be interesting to check out because I'm just kind of curious to see how other people make this work because a lot of these you know, products, these profitable ideas that you and myself that we kind of put out there and come up with are just kind of like ideas that we just kind of grasp from thin air. Like we're not selling hard products, you know, so it's kind of hard sometimes to uh, come up with what we're going to present, you know, how we're going to present it, what we're going to price it at, and how we're going to communicate that value to people that would buy it. you know. And I know that there was one tip that someone gave me was, uh, you know you've arrived at the right price when someone signs up, but you encounter a little bit of resistance. So if you don't encounter any resistance to the price, that means you're pricing too low. But if they don't sign up at all, you're probably pricing a little bit too high. So that's one rule that I use to kind of figure this out. but. I would love to check out your sales page. And I know that you don't know that off the top of your head, but perhaps we can put a link to that in the show notes and people can check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll... up as
1: well. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'll pull it from my email funnel. Uh, I know it's a lead page. It's a long lead page. I couldn't think of it off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, I'd love to... Uh you know, send that over so you guys kind of have some idea of, uh, how to set it up. I know it's really kind of tough to figure out how to word things, how to write good copy, how to present value, how to show that what you have is worth, you know, them taking hundreds or even thousands of dollars out of their wallet and and forking it over to you. It's, it's really, uh, you know, a a tough kind of process to figure out. But I think once you figure out how it works, um, you kind of have that skill for the rest of your life. And uh, one of the great copywriters, Gary Halbert, um, is, is someone to follow. I've been following him for a long time. Um, the way he sets things up, the way he writes. It's very um, very not very informal and just kind of speaks to pe- to people the way um, they kind of speak naturally. So um, it's just kind of a, a quick little tip off the top of my head. is it, speaking to people. Um, not like you're trying to sell them something or not like you're some really big professional, um, you know, a perfect person who knows everything, but more just kind of speaking to them like they're your friend, uh, like you're you're talking to them one-on-one uh, is typically the best way to present something to them to the point where they want to buy it. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to get that link over to you so you guys kind of have an understanding of what it is. But basically a lot of my copy pages, a lot of my sales pages have that type of informal dialogue um, you know, where, where it's very natural, very f- uh, free flowing. And I think it typically, uh, it does sort of performs the best.
0: Yeah, that's a great tip. And I, I really recommend that people kind of look and find their own voice, you know, when they're writing and you mentioned just kind of being yourself speaking like you would naturally, but everyone has like their own kind of unique personality. So if you can find a way to translate that into print, I think is very, very valuable and. A lot of people can really latch on to that. You know, some people are humorous, some people are thoughtful. You know, some people are analytical. But but being able to you know convey your personality, your unique personality, unique voice into print, I think is very uh, effective. And I know there was one, there was one really well-known internet marketer who he said that he would read one particular book. He would read the writing of someone else, and I think it was a, the book was Comedy Writing Secrets by Melvin Helitzer. I want to say. And it was basically, you know, just like funny writing, comic writing, and he found that, you know, when he would read that book first, you know, read parts of that book first and then write his sales copy, he spoke more like a normal person. So I find that to be really helpful, you know, to study the work of other people. And I have a friend who's a digital nomad entrepreneur who's actually on this podcast, Derek Pantel. and what he would actually do, like this was his homework assignment that he gave himself, was I think he Googled, like, the top 50 best copy letters of all time and what he would actually do is like go through these and actually write them out by hand and he swore by this exercise he said that you know it's it's so great for building those uh, muscles of great copywriting so there's there's two techniques that you can try
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah hopefully it's helpful
0: so anything else that you want to um, share or impart or anything that you know people can check out if they want to get more info from you
1: yeah, I mean, uh, Danny, I'm not 100% sure when the interview is coming up, but I think it's coming out uh, right around the time of uh, my new podcast launch, The Justin Sensham Show. So if you guys are listening and want to check out uh, my new podcast, it's an incredible show with some of the top experts in the world, um, some of the highest achievers, experts, even some celebrities, and basically sharing their keys to success. It's the Justin Stenstrom Show, J-U-S-T-I-N-S-T-E-N-S-T-R-O-M. And uh, yeah, subscribe to the show on iTunes.
0: Thank you so much. And if people want to get in contact with you, they should join the Facebook group or what's the way to do that?
1: Yeah, they can go on uh, Facebook and just type in Elite Man Mastermind and join the group or uh, just check out my website, Um Either way works.
0: We'll put links to those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Justin,
1: for your time. I really appreciate it. Danny, thanks so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it, bro.